Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classes of Mail. My name is Alan Gigax, and this week we are going to do something a little bit different. I've decided that in the interim weeks between my episodes, I'm going to read the JCAM, the Joint Contract Administration Manual. <clears throat> it's uh, something that I need to read as a new steward, and maybe it'll be useful to you guys as well. I promise that it will be boring hell. I can't do a lot about that. It just is what it is, but I will try to read it in a lively voice. And when I get to the sections where I'm actually quoting from the contract, the stuff that's in boxes, I'll read that in an accent so that you know that I'm reading that section rather than the commentary. The commentary I'll read in my normal voice, and then the boxes I'll read in an accent. Uh, another thing is I'm not going to read all the citations. That gets really tedious, and if you want to know the citations, you can look them up. So I'm going to go ahead and skip that. The accent that I've chosen is a Southern gentleman. So it's, I, I can't do accents. So at tough luck, you know, maybe they'll be funny if they're not good. But it's, um, it's the only one that I can do fairly consistently. And I don't even know how authentic it is. It's based on this novel, these audiobooks that I listened to, the uh, our special agent Aloysius Pendergast. And he's this southern gentleman. And the narrator just makes his voice so beautiful. And I highly recommend those books, by the way. They're, they're very entertaining. Uh, so anyway, without any further ado, I'm going to get started with the very beginning of the JCAM, starting in the introduction. So, get further situated here. All right, here we go. Introduction. This jointly prepared USPS-NALC Joint Contract Administration Manual, JCAM, supersedes all previous editions. Publication of the JCAM was undertaken in good faith in order to educate the local parties and facilitate the resolution of disputes concerning issues on which the national parties are in agreement. While the parties at the national level still dispute the proper application of some portions of the collective bargaining agreement, there are significant areas of agreement. The JCAM represents the party's effort to inform labor and management in the field of these areas of agreement and encourage consistency and compliance with the issues treated. The narrative explanation of the collective bargaining agreement contained in the JCAM should be considered dispositive of the joint understanding of the parties at the national level. Some sections of the contract do not have a narrative explanation. No inference should be drawn from the lack of explanatory language. The actual language contained in the collective bargaining agreement appears in text boxes. Shaded contract language means the provision does not normally apply to the city letter carrier craft. The small text boxes found in the right-hand margin next to the contract language identifies where the memos referenced in the contract language text the small text boxes found in the right-hand margin next to the contract language identifies where the memos referenced in the contract language text boxes are located in the JCAM. Preface. The JCAM is self-explanatory and speaks for itself. It is not intended to, nor does it, increase or decrease the rights, responsibilities, or benefits of the parties under the collective bargaining agreement. It neither adds to nor modifies in any respect the current collective bargaining agreement. At each step of the grievance arbitration of the grievance arbitration procedure, the parties are required to jointly review the JCAM in order to facilitate resolution of disputes. 
the JCAM may be introduced in an arbitration as dispositive of those issues covered by the manual. If introduced as evidence in arbitration, the document shall speak for itself. Without exception, no testimony shall be permitted in support of the content, background, history, or any other aspect of the JCAM's narrative. The parties at the national level will update the JCAM at least once during the term of the national agreement. The parties at the local level should exercise caution to ensure that they are working for the most current issue of the JCAM and apply any revisions or modifications prospectively from the date of revision. On that note, this is the 2022 manual, which as far as I know is the most updated version of the JCAM. Once we get our new contract, I may have to... um, I may have to go back and redo some stuff or talk about the changes, but most of this isn't going to change. All right, so here we go. We'll get into Article 1, Union Recognition. Ah, and uh, we get to try the accent. Let's see how it goes. Preamble. This agreement, referred to as the 2019 National Agreement, is entered into by and between the United States Postal Service, here and after referred to as the employer and the National Association of Letter Carriers, AFL-CIO, here and after referred to as the Union. The agreement is effective as of September 20th, 2019, unless otherwise provided. Article 1, Union Recognition. 1.1, Section 1, Union. The employer recognizes the National Association of Letter Carriers, AFL-CIO, as the exclusive bargaining representative of all employees in the bargaining unit for which it has been recognized and certified at the national level city letter carriers. The Postal Reorganization Act of 1970, PRA, transformed the Post Office Department into an independent establishment of the Government of the United States, the United States Postal Service. The PRA also gave postal employees the right to bargain collectively over their wages, hours, and working conditions. The law states that the Postal Service, quote, shall accord exclusive recognition to a labor organization when the organization has been selected by a majority of the employees in an appropriate unit as their representative, end quote. This PRA mandate followed the concept of exclusive recognition that had long served as the basis for collective bargaining in the private sector. The doctrine holds that only one labor organization can represent, quote, all employees in such unit for the purposes of collective bargaining in respect to to rates of pay, wages, hours of employment, or other conditions of employment, end quote. NALC is the exclusive bargaining agent representing city delivery carriers. Although NALC membership is not limited to members of the city letter carrier craft, NALC is the exclusive representative of all city letter carriers, the only organization entitled to represent letter carriers in their collective bargaining relationship with the U.S. Postal Service. Despite the doctrine of exclusive representation, Article 17.2.E provides that a steward may be designated to represent a craft other than the steward's own if the unions involved approve and notify the Postal Service in writing. The positions currently designated in the letter carrier craft and thus within the jurisdiction of NALC for representational purposes are listed in Article 41.1.A. Article 1.1 does not speak directly to the question of the precise jurisdiction of NALC 
or of those unions which are exclusive bargaining representatives for other groups of U.S. Postal Service employees. Other unions exclusively representing large national groups of Postal Service craft employees are APWU, American Postal Workers Union, Clerks, Maintenance Employees, and Motor Vehicle Employees, NPMHU, National Postal Mail Handlers Union, Division of Laborers International Union, Mail Handlers, and NRLCA, National Rural Carrier Letters Associ- National Rural Letter Carriers Association, Rural Letter Carriers. NALC and unions representing those other postal crafts all negotiated together and ex- executed joint national agreements with the U.S. Postal Service covering periods 1971 to 73 and 1973 to 75. The NRLCA bargained separately for its 1975 to 78 agreement. In 1978, 1981, 1984, 1987, and 1990, NALC and APWU, the Joint Bargaining Committee, negotiated jointly while the unions representing mail handlers and rural carriers negotiated separate agreements. In 1994 and thereafter, NALC negotiated and arbitrated its national agreements separately from APWU. Presently, each of the four major postal unions has a separate national agreement with the Postal Service. 1.2. Section 2. Exclusions. The employee group set forth in Section 1 above does not include, and this agreement does not apply to, 1. Managerial and supervisory personnel. 2. Professional employees. 3. Employees engaged in personnel work in other than a purely non-confidential clerical capacity. 4. Security guards as defined in Public Law 91-375-12012. 5. All Postal Inspection Service employees. 6. Employees in the Supplemental Workforce as defined in Article 7. 7. Rural Letter Carriers. 8. Mail Handlers. 9. Maintenance Employees. 10. Special Delivery Messengers. 11. Motor vehicle employees or 12 postal clerks. Somebody should put together like a 12 days of Christmas song with those people. All right. So anyway, managerial and supervisory personnel are excluded from the bargaining unit by terms of by the terms of Article 1.2, as well as by the provisions of the Postal Reorganization Act. However, letter carriers serving in temporary supervisory position, 204B, are still considered to be craft employees and continue to accrue uninterrupted seniority in the letter carrier craft. Members of the supplemental workforce, which was previously defined as being comprised of casuals, are excluded from the bargaining unit. The supplemental workforce, casuals, was eliminated effective December 10, 2007 by the Memorandum of Understanding regarding Article 7.1. And here is that Memorandum of Understanding regarding Article 7.1. The parties agree that the November 21, 2006 effective date of the National Agreement does not apply to the employment of transitional employees or the elimination of the supplemental workforce, casuals. The parties further agree that no city letter carrier casuals will be on the rolls later than December 9, 2007. Any dispute over the beginning date for city letter carrier casuals may be addressed only by the parties at the national level, dated September 11, 2007. 1.3. Section 3. Facility Exclusions. 
This agreement does not apply to employees who work in other employer facilities which are not engaged in customer services and mail processing, previously understood and expressed by the parties to mean mail processing and delivery, including but not limited to headquarters, area offices, information service centers, Postal Service Training and Development Institute, Oklahoma Postal Training Operations, Postal Academies, Postal Academy Training Institute, Stamped Envelope Agency, Supply Centers, Mail Equipment Shops, or Mail Transport Equipment Centers. 1.4 Section 4 Definition Subject to the foregoing exclusions, this agreement shall be applicable to all employees in the regular workforce of the U.S. Postal Service, as defined in Article 7, at all present and subsequently acquired installations, facilities, and operations of the employer wherever located. Article 1.4 provides that, subject to the exclusions listed in Article 1, Sections 2 and 3, all members of the regular workforce as defined in Article 7.1.A are members of the bargaining unit. Article 7.1 defines the regular workforce as being comprised of full-time, part-time regular, and part-time flexible employees. Full-time flexible employees are also part of the regular workforce. In addition, city carrier assistant employees are members of the bargaining unit as provided for in Article 7.1.C. 1.5 Section 5 New Positions Each newly created position shall be assigned by the employer to the National Craft Unit most appropriate for such position within 30 days after its creation. Before such assignment of each new position, the employer shall consult with the union for the purpose of assigning the new position to the National Craft Unit most appropriate for such position. The following criteria shall be used in making this determination. 1 existing work assignment practices. 2. Manpower cost. 3. Avoidance of duplication of effort and make work assignments. 4. Effective utilization of manpower including the Postal Service's need to assign employees across craft lines on a temporary basis. 5. The integral nature of all duties which comprise a normal duty assignment. 6. The contractual and legal obligations and requirements of the parties. b. The union shall be notified promptly by the employer regarding assignments made under this provision. Should the union dispute the assignment of the new position within 30 days from the date the union has received notification of the assignment of the position, the dispute shall be subject to the provisions of the grievance and arbitration procedure provided for herein. Article 1.5 requires that before assigning a new position to the most appropriate National Craft Bargaining Unit, the Postal Service must consult with the NALC. Additionally, it contains standards that must be used in making assignments of new positions to the appropriate unit, and provides that the NALC will be promptly notified of the decision as to which bargaining unit a new position has been assigned. Any dispute as to that assignment is grievable at the national level within 30 days from the date the union receives notification of the assignment. 1.6.A Section 6 Performance of Bargaining Unit Work A. Supervisors are prohibited from performing bargaining unit work at post offices with 100 or more bargaining unit employees except 1. In an emergency 2 for the purpose of training or instructing employees, three, 
to assure the proper operation of equipment. Four, to protect the safety of employees. Or five, to protect the property of the USPS. The prohibition against supervisors performing bargaining unit work also applies to acting supervisors, 204B. The PS Form 1723, which shows the times and dates of the 204B detail, is the controlling document for determining whether an employee is in a 204B status. A separate PS Form 1723 is used for each detail. A single detail may not be broken up on multiple PS Form 1723 for the purpose of using a 204B on overtime in lieu of a bargaining unit employee. Article 41.1.A.2 requires that a copy of the PS Form 1723 be provided to the union at the local level. An acting supervisor, 204B, may not be used in lieu of a bargaining unit employee for the purpose of bargaining unit overtime. An employee detailed to an acting supervisory position will not perform bargaining unit overtime immediately prior to or immediately after such detail on the day he or she was in a 204B status unless all available bargaining unit employees are utilized. However, an employee may work bargaining unit overtime, otherwise consistent with the provisions of Article 8, on the day before or the day after a 204B detail. Branches that wish to determine whether a post office has 100 or more bargaining unit employees should contact their national business agent. The settlement agreement NC-E-4716 between the NALC and USPS, which was intended to be of general application, provides that, quote, where additional work hours would have been assigned to employees but for a violation of Article 1.6.A, and where such work hours are not de minimis, the employees whom management would have assigned the work shall be paid for the time involved at the applicable rate, end quote. De minimis means trifling, unimportant, inconsequential. An emergency is defined in Article 3.F as, quote, an unforeseen circumstance or a combination of circumstances which calls for immediate action in a situation which is not expected to be of a recurring nature, end quote. 1.6.B, B. In offices with less than 100 bargaining unit employees, supervisors are prohibited from performing bargaining unit work except as enumerated in section 6.8.1 through 5 above or when the duties are included in the supervisor's position description. The precedent article, Article 1, shall apply to city carrier assistant employees. Article 1.6.B prohibits supervisors in offices with less than 100 bargaining unit employees from performing letter carrier bargaining unit work, except for the reasons enumerated whoops, in Article 1.6.A.1 through 5, or when the duties being performed are included in the supervisor's position description. The Step 4 decision NC-C-9746 provides that no matter what appears in a supervisor's job description, it does not authorize the supervisor to perform bargaining unit work as a matter of course every day, but rather to meet established service standards. Furthermore, the pre-arbitration settlement H7N-2M-C provides that where the phrase distribution task... Wait. The pre-arbitration settlement, blah, 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 provides that where the phrase distribution tasks or, quote, may personally perform non-supervisory tasks, end quote, is found in a supervisor's job description, 
This does not include casing mail into letter carrier cases. Hey, that's it. That's the end of Article 1. Okay, first one down. So that's it. Uh, 20 minutes. We have gotten through Article 1. Article 2 is even shorter. So we're on our way. I think I'm going to keep doing this. Uh, in between episodes, every other week, I will read the next section of the JCAM, or if it's too long, and oh, that's easy to imagine, then I'll break it up. But together, you and I, we're going to get through the JCAM. We're going to learn all this stuff. Knowledge is power. And learning all this stuff helps to make you discipline-proof, and of course, that's our goal here. So, thanks for listening, and I will see you guys next time.